I do want to say thank you this evening uh, again for those who made it possible for me to be here tonight. And again, for those of you who may have missed it, my name is James. We're relatively new to the area. Uh, Tracy and I came here uh, from Florida, and we came here, for those that don't know this part of our story, we uh, came because of grandchildren, and maybe some of you understand that. Um, but uh, God has been very good to us, and he led us to this fellowship, and I'm so grateful tonight to be here. That's just a small little tiny bit about me. I have a podcast, and I took this opportunity to tell everybody in the church about my podcast. Um, it's called James Reed's Forge. For those of you who listen to podcasts, you can hear me on my podcast. I'm going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and eventually it might take me the rest of my life, but I hope to get through the entire Bible. Um, and that said, you can pick that up anywhere you listen to podcasts, so give me a listen. And even if you don't listen, go ahead and subscribe anyway. I actually have listeners all over the world. It's surprising to me. We were just talking about it on the way in uh, tonight. Um, and all over the United States, people are listening. So it's amazing because I never thought it was going to go that far. Uh, when I first got started, I didn't know a lot about production. Still learning. So if the sound isn't that great, just bear with me. It gets better later on as we go. We're learning. So with that said... Um, I'm going to be reading tonight from John chapter 10, verse 27. John 10, 27. It's uh, page 1040 in the Pew Bibles. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. It's going to be slightly different than the wording you have in the Pew Bible, but the concept and the idea is going to be the same. If there's some words that are different, different order, don't let that uh, throw you off. <clears throat> Um, the concept is going to be the same. And so while you're turning there in your Bible to follow along with me, there's a story that I want to share with you as kind of a way of introduction. And the story goes like this. There was a pilot of a small plane. He had two passengers. They were going to take a short trip from one place to another, point A to point B. Maybe it looks a little bit like this picture that we have here. And as soon as they got up to altitude, the pilot fainted, passed out. And there was a passenger in the right seat who didn't know how to fly the airplane. And there was a passenger in the back seat who didn't know anything about the airplane either. And so the passenger in the back seat gets on the radio, didn't know anything about radio etiquette or anything like that, gets on the radio, says, please help and soon after, an airborne emergency was declared, and they got in touch with air traffic control, and a voice came back over the radio and began to communicate with the passenger in the right seat who was at the controls. And this is what the voice on the radio said. This is the voice that will get you home safely, but you must do exactly what I tell you to do. If you follow my instructions, you will live. But if you do not, you will most certainly die. There's been people in your same situation and they did not listen to me and they perished. But if you listen to me, I will ensure 
that you make it through this and live. Do exactly as I say. And remember that even though you cannot see me, I have a way that I can see you. We're in for some rough weather. But if you listen to me, I will tell you exactly where to go. And as the story goes, the pilot, or the passenger rather, with no real other choice in the matter, I mean, you're going to land. It's just the question of how you're going to land, right? And so he lands, and the story goes that he actually landed seven times as he bounced down the runway. And of course, then after they land, and the pilot wakes up. All three were saved. They were saved because they listened to the voice of the one who was in control. And you might think, well, the passenger was in control, right? He had the controls. Sure he did, but he didn't know what to do. He had to listen to the voice. And I hope you can see where I'm going with this tonight. And our text in John 10, 27 through 30 Hear now the words of the living God. He says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so I've given this sermon tonight the simple title of Listen to His Voice. Listen to His Voice. If we were to go back into the chapter, if you look at verses 19 through 21, you'll find that there were non-believing Jews who had been listening to Jesus and they were divided amongst themselves because there were some Jews who were saying, this man is demon-possessed and he can't be believed. Surely he can't be the Messiah. And there was another group of non-believing Jews who said, well, that's impossible because how could someone who's demon-possessed do all of these miracles? And how could they make a lame man walk or open the eyes of the blind? And they knew their scriptures and they knew that the signs and the wonders that would come with the Messiah would be a testimony of who he was. And so they come to Jesus during what John calls here in the book of John. He calls it the Feast of Dedication. It's also known as the Festival of Lights. And Jesus is walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, or some translations will say Solomon's porch. And Jesus was there at that time. The Jews gathered around him once again in an effort to trap him. And if you know anything about the gospel of Jesus, you know that they would try to play these word games with Jesus. They wanted to entrap him in some way. And once again, they come to him and they say this, tell us plainly if you are the Christ. Tell us plainly. How long will you keep us in suspense? How long will you make us doubt? Tell us, are you the Christ? And I want you to think about this. And now I'm paraphrasing. This is my paraphrase. It's not the uh, King James version, it's just the James version, the guy in your church version, but it's my paraphrase. Jesus basically says this, I already told you who I am. 
I told you who I am, and you don't believe me, and the reason that you don't believe me is because you are not of my sheep. You don't know my voice, but my sheep hear my voice. And this is where I get to my first point, and that is that Christ's sheep hear and know the voice of the good shepherd. My sheep. The question is for all of us here tonight, are you his? Do you know his voice? Do you follow his voice? You see, Jesus is saying, in contrast to you, the non-believers, my sheep aren't in suspense. My sheep are not in doubt about who I am. I've told them, and they know me, and I know them. This is a repetition of the ideas that you can find earlier in the chapter in verses 4 and 14. If you want to go back and read the whole chapter, and I really suggest you do that. The question is, before all of us tonight, are you his sheep? Or, to put it another way, do you know his voice when you hear it? The believer in Jesus is more than someone who gives mental assent to the fact that Jesus existed. That's not the kind of belief that I'm talking about when I talk about being his sheep and believing in Jesus. I've heard several politicians, and don't worry, I'm not going to offend everybody in the room, maybe. I've heard some politicians give this kind of a verbal consent to the historical fact that there was a great man and his name was Jesus. Um, Our uh, current president was uh, actually a passenger of mine in a previous life. I had an opportunity to fly a lot of dignitaries around and um, uh, he was Senator Joe Biden at the time. And he went on to tell me, and when you're a master sergeant and you're talking to a senator, the senator is the one doing the talking and you're the one doing the listening, just to let you know. It was a very one-sided conversation. But he told me how he was a strong Roman Catholic, but that he would never, ever change on a woman's so-called right to choose to choose murder, really, is what it is. And I don't mean to offend or make anyone uncomfortable, but we need to understand the terms that are being used. That's not the kind of belief that I'm talking about, friends. I must tell you that a true Christian would never support the killing of an innocent baby. And I'm very glad to hear that our our so-called Supreme Court has reversed Roe v. Wade. I'm very glad about that personally. But I pray for our leaders, and this is how I pray for our leaders, church. I pray that they would repent and that they would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that God would put someone in their way that would tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and that they would become true believers, true believers in Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of prayers that I pray for our leaders. Friends, God's law tells us that if you kill someone, you're a murderer. You're not a victim. And that's my heart. (laughs) I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. 
But we must preach the gospel not only to our magistrates that God has appointed over us, but also to the doctor who would do such a thing, the mom who would do such a thing. We need to preach the gospel. Any attempt to do things correctly or to do things right in a political way or culturally or anything like that, and it doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center, it will fail. It will fail. It is the heart that must be changed. That's the kind of belief that I'm talking about when you become one of his sheep. So God has seen fit to appoint these leaders over us at this time, and I could go on and on. I could give other examples. I had an opportunity to fly lots of people. If you ever want to know about it, come talk to me sometime, and I can tell you all my war stories of when I was in the Air Force, if you're interested. But I will tell you this. I believe in a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is king. And I actually believe that all authority has already been given to him. So it's not enough. I hope you can see what I'm driving at here. It's not enough to say that we believe in a historical figure. I would remind you that... Uh, Jesus is our king. He's also our good shepherd. Our good shepherd. Um, and the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, really and truly, have I been regenerated? Has God changed my view? Has he changed the way I look at everything? Has he come in? I know the kind of person I used to be, and I'm someone new. I'm someone different. Maybe that's who I was before. But today, I'm new because of Christ. Do you know his voice? Do you hear his voice? Are you willing to submit all thoughts and your worldview to what God has spoken? Will you follow him and live? Or will you do what, will you do what so many have done before and go your own way and perish? And I realize I'm talking to a room probably mostly safe to say we're all believers in here, right? But this is truly a matter of the heart. I can fool you, you can fool me. God knows our heart and you know, even now, you know if you're one of his sheep or not. That brings me to point two, which is his sheep have eternal life. And this comes right out of the text that we read. Notice also that Jesus says his sheep will never perish. Never perish. This is an absolute negative, and this is what it means. It means that by no means, no way, never, ever, ever, never, any other way I can emphasize that, never die spiritually. Now, we are all going to taste the physical death, to be sure, but the kind of life I'm talking about is the kind of life that goes on for eternity. And he says, I give eternal life to them. This is the gift of Jesus now to his sheep. And I have some references there. It's kind of small on the slides, but John 6, 27 and also verse 40, 1 John 2, 25. I kind of like John. You may notice that. <laughs> 1 John 5, 11, he restates it again. His sheep have eternal life. And so, as I was preparing for this, 
I thought, well, how would you define eternal life? So I went out to the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church, and it states, in Christianity, not only a life of endless duration, but the fullness of the life of, uh, of which the believer becomes possessed here and now. Through participation in God's eternal being, it unites the strong sense of historical and characteristic of Hebrew thought and elements from Greek, and really it's Plato, but Greek belief that man's true life is timeless. It's in a timeless world in which he is freed from the impediments of material and temporal existence. And I read that and I thought, okay, that's a lot of words. What does that mean? If I wanted to define eternal life, how would I do it? So I kind of put that definition in my own words and I hope uh, that you can follow this a little bit better than that wordy definition. This is my definition. When a, when a person becomes a Christian, they receive not only the promise of an eternal life when physical death comes, but they receive the fullness of life now. And we have become partakers in the life of God. Being one of Christ's sheep encompasses both Hebrew and Gentile thought. And that is this. And we all know it. Everyone in this room knows it. There has to be something more than this. There has to be something more than the material and the physical world that I'm living in. We all know it. We are spiritual creatures. And we know that there's something beyond myself. Right? But the difference is, as Christians, we know the truth about that. And we have eternal life in Christ. R.C. Sproul, uh, someone that I've read and listened to a lot, he says it this way, the Lord gives his sheep the endless life of fellowship with God. He protects them from perishing according to the infallibility of his divine grace. And he allows no one to snatch them from his hand. The saints persevere because God preserves them. They persevere because God preserves them. The sheep are not able to snatch themselves out of God's hand because the divine shepherd will keep all of his true sheep from eternally straying. The solemn warnings of scripture against apostasy are not intended to cause doubts about God's perseverance with those he has saved. So there's a slight difference between the words, but I am going to persevere. Why do I persevere? Because of God's preservation. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. <clears throat> Look at verse 29. Notice from the context that the emphasis here is, although my salvation's a really good thing, but that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on what? It is on the greatness of God the Father. This is so important because our salvation is based upon his greatness. It's not based on me, but the greatness of God. It's so important because our salvation is based on the completed work of Christ. He is so powerful 
that once we have been reborn, absolutely no one can snatch us out of his hand. And it's so important to place the emphasis upon God's greatness on this issue because if we place the greatness on self or on the flock or on a particular individual sheep in the flock, it's no wonder that people come up with false teachings and false doctrines, even teaching that salvation is something that can be lost. I assure you, dear friends, if I could lose my salvation, it would have been lost probably the second that I received it. Jesus is communicating to us here that to be in his hand is to be in the Father's hand. How much clearer could he make it? Indeed, the Father is greater than all. And I want to encourage each and every one of us to live our lives in a way that reflects our steadfast belief in the fact that God is truly greater than all. In Matthew 28, and this is probably a passage that's familiar to everyone in the room, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Not some authority or or a little bit now, a little bit later, sometime in the future. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do we live like that? Like he is in authority over all. Do we live that way? Do we live our lives as though Jesus has complete and total authority over all things? Do we tell others that Jesus is the one who can bring life? I have been told, I will just confess this to you right now, that I'm pretty much a one-trick pony. The only thing I talk about is Jesus and salvation. I've actually, that's a critique I've received in uh, teaching and preaching. It always comes back to that for me because I know what he did for me. I heard his voice and he changed me. You only see this, James. You don't see (laughs) what I was before my Lord and my Savior. Do we share the gospel with those around us who are hurting? Because he is the solution. He's the only solution. Do we listen to his voice as though we're listening to the one who has authority? Not just a little bit of authority, but all authority over all things. Point number three, coming right out of the text. His sheep confess the deity of Christ. I and the Father are one, he says in John 10.30. And again, we find an important point here, and I don't want to overlook it. Anytime that I'm given an opportunity like this, I always want to put a little bit of apologetic into what I'm saying. And apologetic, that's just a fancy word. It just means that we are to be ready at all times to give a reasoned defense for the faith. Do you know what you believe and do you know why you believe it? And I just wanted to bring this up here. Jesus says here, I and the Father are one. But if you were to go look at um, another passage of Scripture, John fourteen twenty eight, same author, 
He says the Father is greater than I, and this is Jesus talking about himself. So which is it? And if you ever had the opportunity to talk to an atheist who knows something of what the Bible says, they might ask you this question. So which is it, Mr. Christian? In one place, he says the Father is greater. In the other place, he says they are one. See, you don't know what you're talking about. And the only reason I say that is because I've had these kind of conversations. This is actually something that came up. Context, my friends, context and the word meanings, they have meaning. And so when we put it together, we get the idea that Jesus is communicating here. And he is not saying that he and the Father are the same person, but that they are one in essence and nature, that they are both God but distinct persons. They are one being but distinct persons. So what does it mean in John 14, 28, when Jesus says that the Father is greater than Jesus himself? Again, context. And this is how you would answer that. In that scripture, Jesus is speaking of himself. And get this, it's so important. He is the only mediator between his people and God the Father. He's the only mediator. And that's what he's talking about there. So again, uh, if you ever want to talk to me about uh, our Mormon friends, Latter-day Saints, Jehovah Witnesses, Unitarians, atheists, um, you name it. Um, I had some dealings uh, in the South with a group. I, I don't think we have them much out here. But uh, Trinity deniers, uh, there are people that are called oneness, and they are a cult. So if you ever want to talk about those kind of things, I love apologetics. I love being able to have a reasoned defense for the faith. I don't have time to dig way down into this stuff tonight, um, but it is personally very interesting to me. So if you ever want to talk about it, come on over and sit down and we'll talk about it. So what then exactly is Jesus getting into here in our text for tonight? He's making a response to the wicked he is affirming the unity of essence and divine perfection that he shares with the Father. Remember that these people objected to God's power belonging to Jesus. And as we talked about at the very beginning, they even accused him. They even went so far as to say he was possessed by a demon. And they did not want him to make good on his promises to his disciples. <clears throat> but Jesus is assuring all of his sheep at this point that he and the Father are so united on this issue that God will never fail the sheep. Do you get that? He will never fail his sheep. That's exciting. You see, the Jews who were here at this time, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They were not confused. They didn't have any questions about essence and equality of being. They knew what Jesus was saying. They fully well understood what he was saying. The Pharisees had accused Jesus already of making himself equal with God as his own special father. Jesus admitted to it and he proved it over in John 5. And now he states it tersely in this saying here. And it's actually repeated later in John 17, which you may know as the high priestly prayer. The crisp statement is the climax of Christ's claims concerning the relation between the Father and himself, the Son. 
And these words stirred up the Pharisees to an uncontrollable anger. Why? Because they were not his sheep. The long and the short of it is this, and I'm going to be bringing it to a close here. The long and the short of it is this. We must agree with Thomas. People call him Doubting Thomas. And I don't really like to call him that. Because you know Thomas is like me, and he's like you. And he had his doubts. But that's who he was. It's not who he became because of Christ. Every one of us have a past. Every one of us has a time before Christ, what we were before Christ. But Thomas had a radical experience and he changed and he confesses my Lord and my God. The sheep of Christ are in complete agreement with Thomas. Jesus is our Lord and our God, and as such, he is worthy of our praise and our worship and all power and honor and glory to Christ. So it is in conclusion, dear friends, as Christians, we confess that Jesus is God in the flesh, and we know based on his promise and his declaration that we have eternal life. And if we're going to land the aircraft safely, so to speak, we have to do what? Listen to his voice. And follow his direction exactly because our destination is the life eternal found only in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your precious words of encouragement here. Indeed, Lord, these are the very words of life. We ask, Lord, that you please open the ears of the deaf that they might hear. Lord, that we would listen to your voice. Jesus, we thank you for your continued faithfulness to your sheep. Be patient with us, Lord, as we strive to listen to your still small voice and help us lord to always be ready always be ready to give a reasoned defense for the hope that is within us lord and it is because of you we love you and we give you our lives tonight in jesus name i pray all this amen